Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spy Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is joined by Jeff Siegel, founder and owner of Medical Justice. All right, everybody. Alex Tiersch here, and this is Medical Spa Insider, and we have on the AmSpa hotline today um, the venerable, the one and only, I, I want to say Doctor, but should I call you like Barrister Jeff Siegel? I'm not ever sure what to call you because you've got you've got more nicknames and more titles than anyone I've ever known in my life. You can call me Doctor Barrister Jeff Siegel, MD Esquire. Will <laughs> that be a helpful? That covers start? it. I think that covers being it. Being in the hotline. Yes. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know uh, Jeff Siegel, he is the owner and the CEO, uh, founder and CEO of Medical Justice, which is a, a great organization that you can find um, online that helps um, doctors and providers with negative reviews and threats from patients and and other other sources. Uh, it's a it's it's a great service. And um, the reason I wanted to bring you on, uh, Jeff, first of all, thanks for joining us. I, I, I appreciate. It. I know you're busy and there's a lot going on. But um, you you had published a blog, which we had republished um, on AmSpa's website and AmSpa's blog about uh, review gating. And it's an interesting thing. It caught my attention when I saw it. Um, and I, I, it's, it's something that I think we all should be at least aware of. It's something that's probably coming down the pipe, you know, in, in, in the future in our industry. But to set the, set the stage a little bit, um, what is review gating? What's the issue here um, that we're talking about? And why should, uh, why should folks care about it? Right. So review gating is something that people probably never heard about, except those who are in the weeds in terms of online reputational marketing and reputation management. And it defines a process used by various platforms to just cherry pick the great reviews. Let me explain. So there are a number of platforms that are out there that send a text message or an email to a large collection of your customers, in this case, your patients, saying, hey, how'd we do? Did we do a great job? And give us a number from one to five on how we did. So the good ones are four or five, arguably the good one, the great ones are five. Right. And if somebody posts zero, one or one, two, or three, mm-hmm. that's where the process stops, okay? If somebody posts four or five or gives you the feedback, four or five, then they get a follow-up email or text that says, God, we're so delighted that you thought we did a great job. We're going to send you now to Google, Yelp, mm-hmm. Health Grades, or any number of review sites so you can tell the world about how great we are. Yep. Now, that that the ones, twos, and threes are never provided this opportunity. They are filtered or they're gated. Mm-hmm. So they're gated and never given the opportunity. And you're thinking, so what's the big deal? Why would anybody care about that? I only want the good ones going up anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, who would want to invite a negative review to, uh, you know, to tar and feather our practice? Right. And, and that's a good point. Most people do want the good ones going up. The problem is, is that if you just cherry pick the good ones using uh, broad strokes with a platform, that's what is known as review gating. So a couple of years ago, Google said, we do not like it. So Google mm-hmm. has already weighed in on this. And more recently, the Federal Trade Commission has argued that this is false and deceptive advertising. The public is going out to a particular review site and you are going out of your way and affirmatively 
preventing the broad group of your clients or patients from posting online. This doesn't give a fair and accurate representation mm. of the type of people that are coming to your practice and they do not like it. Now, right. what did the Federal Trade Commission do and why did it get your attention? And then why did we post it on our blog and why did you engage in a copyright violation and post it on your our, our <laughs> blog on your blog? Yep. Just kidding. You did ask for permission and that's a story for another day, another <laughs> another uh, podcast session. Well, it and it says posted with permission. And, yeah, so we're, we've just got this. Fined by, um, or actually, one of the companies was fined by the Federal Tra- uh, Trade Commission to the tune of $4.2 million. Right, right. That's a lot of dough. Yeah. Um, and so that got my attention. We've been writing about this in the past, but, you know, so far Google was the only entity that cared. Now the Federal Trade Commission has said not only did they fine one company, but they sent out letters to 10 other platforms that facilitate right. review getting and said, we've got our, our eye on you. We don't want you to be doing it. And then finally, why am I concerned? Because medicine is heavily regulated, mm-hmm. um, typically by the Board of Medicine or some other professional licensing board. And virtually all of them have um, in their, I guess, oversight, the ability to to nail someone with false and deceptive advertising. Right. So if Federal Trade Commission is calling this false and deceptive advertising, it's not a great leap to suggest that the medical licensing boards or the equivalent will get into the game. And their threshold's a lot lower, and they've got bigger budgets than the Federal Trade Commission. So a lot of stuff going on in terms of just making people aware of the issue. Uh, my argument is, look, you don't need to do it. There are other platforms that most that get mostly good reviews going up, and having an occasional bad review is sometimes a good thing. It's not mm-hmm. a bad thing. It's just if you've got a gazillion negative reviews that you've got a problem, and you probably need to figure out why your business is run so badly that all you have are a gazillion negative reviews. But having yeah. an occasional negative review, it gives you an opportunity to telegraph to the world how you solve problems, if you mm-hmm. can do it in a HIPAA compliant way, you've turned the negative into a positive. Yeah, yeah. So I and 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 there were a couple a couple issues that jumped out at me right when I was reading this, and and you touched on them. The, the first is the four point was a four point two million dollar fine levied by the FTC. The FTC regulates you know advertising, um, public advertising. So number one, they're they're implicitly or explicitly stating that these review sites are you know, obviously they're going to be governed by the FTC, which is a whole other ball of uh, wax and then the the the, the medical um, board regulations are much more um, strict and they're much they, they, they kick in a lot quicker um, but the this this fine um, didn't involve a, um, a a medical provider um, what why was this fine 4.2 million well, what's your sense for why it was this big versus you know I think 18 you know 2018 there was the uh, one where it was you know, $70,000 or something like that. It wasn't nothing that big. Like, like what's happened to cause it to go from, you know, five figures to seven figures? Right. It's a great question. So the Federal Trade Commission does not have unlimited resources, so they go where the money's at. Mm. And what we've seen in the past is that these sizes of fines never go down. They go up. Um, to give this color, 20 years ago, when HIPAA first well, I mean, when HIPAA first went into people's minds, 
there were no real fines associated with a HIPAA violation. Typically, you got a note from the Office of Civil uh, Rights saying, hey, look, somebody's complained. We got an issue. Please try to do better next time. There, right. there, were, there were no fines. And then fines started kicking in and that were modest. And now fines with HIPAA can be on the order, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, depending upon how mm-hmm. bad the violation is. And so my, I think the guiding principle is that fines never go down. They always go up. Right. I think in this particular case, there were no fines in the past other than, well, from the Federal Trade Commission. And right. we'll talk about the Attorney General's yeah. office in, in just a minute. Um but there was a, a big entity with lots of reviews and they felt like this was a particularly egregious actor and they could kill two birds with one stone. So, so this was the first time elect- the FTC has stepped in and said, we're going to find somebody and for this particular yeah. issue. Exactly. I okay. know they've had their eye on this. And they yeah. were looking for a whale to, yeah. you know, to, um, to make this stick and they could do two things. One, replenish their their coffers with with some cash at the same time they can educate the public we mean business now i think it's generally accepted that the federal trade commission is going to focus its energies on things that they can make a dent on right um but they also um they also work hand in hand with attorney generals in the various states and depending upon where you live some have big budgets, some have little budgets. If you live in a big state like New York, Florida, Texas, California, a state with a lot of humans in it, mm-hmm. the attorney general's office have big budgets and have nothing but time on their hands and a lot of money to do a deeper dive. Yeah. So they've got a bigger rel- uh, relative budget you know, than the Federal Trade Commission to pay attention to this stuff. And now that the Federal Trade Commission is teed it up, yeah. I would not be shocked if there are some follow-on um, follow-on actions by state attorney general's offices for for the um, businesses that didn't get the original message. And I want I, 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 I want to f- follow up on that a little bit because one of the um, one of the stories that you had in your blog actually linked to the New York Attorney General website back in 2000, I think it was like 16 or 17, they, the New York Attorney General actually filed a similar claim um, against a company in New York um, that involved, but it, it was the, the, the circumstances were slightly different, but I, but I, almost, I, I almost found it more interesting because it was that there was incentives to leave um, good reviews that were offered to people who kind of went through the initial screening um, and said, okay, I'm going to leave a good review. We'll give you 10 bucks or whatever it is off of whatever uh, our night, your next service or product. If you leave a good review on Yelp or whatever it was, but the bad reviews, they were just kind of taken internally. Um, They weren't offered this $10 um, uh, incentive. Um, And and I I guess kind of what I'm wondering here is like, if you decide to accept reviews and I would love to hear your thoughts on that case too, because it was, it was interesting. But if you decide to accept reviews, does this mean you have to post it no matter what they say? Is that kind of the the bottom line here? No. So let's go back to the New York attorney Mm -hmm. general's office. This was, you're right. I think around 2016, it was related to, Carmel Car Service. This was like an alternative to taxis. Yeah. This may be well before Uber, and I'm not even. Is Carmel still around? I don't know. They probably are. Um, but they were. Um, they set up their system 
which is give us a review. If you give us a review and it's positive, we'll give you a percent, you know, some type of discount going forward. If the review was negative, it was buried internally. So it was like, we'll give you something for the review. Mm-hmm. They're paying for a review, if you will. They're giving consideration for it and burying the negative review. So this is almost like review gating plus, right. you know, there's right. yet something else. Now it's just review gating. So my thinking is, look, um, is it unreasonable just to ask your happy patients to post a review? I personally don't think that's a problem. I think that's okay. I mean, that's what people do. I just think you probably should not affirmatively create a mechanism or work with a platform that that is removing the potential of your unhappy people from posting a review. So if you're going to cast a wide net and send out um, – you know, a gazillion emails and text messages to your patients asking for their feedback. Once they've given you their feedback, I wouldn't selectively cherry pick those with your giant net to decide which ones are given the opportunity to post online. I mean, the truth is, if someone's unhappy, they're going to post anyway. They're going mm-hmm. to go around your platform. But by barrel, but by burying that review, you'll actually find you make someone who's already angry even angrier, mm-hmm. you know, by by giving them the impression you, you truly don't care that your feedback is not that their feedback is not that important. Right, right. So how big of the, how big of a problem is this? It's hard to say. Um, you know, that was a fairly high profile case. Uh, in parallel, the Federal Trade Commission sent out letters of concern to ten platforms that are making review gating possible. So I don't think we've heard the last word on this Mm -hmm. i think more fines are coming unless the industry kind of cleans itself up and i think all it really takes is uh, google becoming aware of you working with a platform that is review getting and they'll just take your reviews down themselves they don't even need the federal trade commission or the attorney general's office to find you they'll just get to the end game already yeah it's almost like you know i used to do back in the day back in the old days I did, uh, you know, employment discrimination and racial discrimination cases. And it's like you have to treat everybody, you know, a similarly situated like review. Like if you're if you're going to ask for reviews and they're going to be given and you have a process which you're vetting them, you just can't affirmatively go out there and vet out the ones that are bad and not treat them kind of the same way. Is, is, Is that a decent way to look at it? It's a great analogy. Once you've set up a process, you need to adhere to a fair process in a way that doesn't make you look like you've engaged in false and deceptive advertising. Right, right. I mean, is it unreasonable to ask your happy patients to go post online? No, I don't think it is. I think that's perfectly reasonable. That's normal human behavior. But if you're going to cast this giant net out there mm-hmm. and then leave out the five unhappy patients affirmatively, affirmatively leave them out, then I think you may have created an unnecessary problem. Yeah. And then, you know, so just to, to quick follow on, and, and by the way, for those of you who are listening to this, uh, we, I've, I've done podcasts with Jeff before where we go through the whole review process. We'll have to update that again here soon uh, so we can get get kind of the latest um, on, on what's been going on with that. But um, the, the, the other issue with the one from New York is is the actually paying for reviews. And, and just since we brought it up, I would love just to give give folks the kind of the down and dirty on that and why that's not a good idea and how you get around you, how you, you know, the incentivizing people to leave reviews is is, is also potentially um, problematic. Yeah, you do not want to pay people 
or leaving a review. When I say pay, I'm talking very broadly about the word consideration. That's right. a legal term. Sorry to bring up legal terms here, but <laughs> we are two lawyers chatting. <laughs> Just um, chatting. So consideration means you pay for the review or you give a gift card for the review or you give a discount or you give free stuff. Anything of value that you're giving would be considered consideration for the review. And the Federal Trade Commission um, really frowns upon it. But actually, they frown upon it in a very particular way. They don't say you can't do it. They say that if you do it, you have to disclose it. So, for example, mm. a um, mm-hmm. if I paid Alex uh, $25 to write a positive review and then Alex writes, um, hey, um, I got out of, you know, let me back up. Let me use me since I'm a physician here. If somebody write, if I'm going to um, pay someone to write a review and they write the review saying Dr. Siegel got out of bed at one in the morning and helped, you know, help me when I was on death's door, um, mm-hmm. they would have to disclose that right. I gave them the $25 gift card. Now, just imagine how that looks online if the mm-hmm. patient discloses this $25 gift card. It's not that valuable any longer because it looks like the review is bought and paid for. So I think the take-home message is that you, to be compliant with Federal Trade Commission guidelines, you should not give consideration for reviews because there's no really easy way to get to have it disclosed and still have it have any value. Right, right, right. Well, and then do it. And, 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 and the other obviously kind of thread running through this entire discussion is that when you get to medical spas and medical aesthetics, we're talking about medical treatment. And then every state has, you know, the medical board looking over your shoulder, making sure that you're not doing things that are false and deceptive. And I think to your original point at the beginning was that if the FTC is saying that review gating is false and deceptive, it is it is not a, a significant leap. In fact, it's it's probably safe to assume that a medical board is also going to find it to be false and misleading. Is, is that fair? I think it's fair. I think it's actually easier to make yeah. the claim because their threshold for taking action is probably lower than the Federal Trade Commission. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's my thought yeah. too. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on this. I, I appreciate. It. Um, Medical justice, uh, Jeff. Did, tell us uh, just a quick, you know, two seconds about about what you guys do because I'm sure I did a terrible job of it at the beginning. But you're a you're doctor, a lawyer. You're all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, a, a neurosurgeon, and you know, I think you did like an Ironman triathlon back in the day too. I think, I think what you're stating is that I have se- severe um, attention deficit disorder. So yes, <laughs> perhaps that's, that's fully accurate. <laughs> so anyway, medical justice. We've been at it for two decades. We um, help keep. Um, healthcare professionals from being sued for frivolous reasons. More broadly, we help de-escalate conflict that any practice has with their patients, their employees, the board of medicine, you know, all the types of things that you hope never happens. Then on occasion, somebody comes knocking at your door and it's usually unpleasant. The yeah. other thing we do is help protect and preserve a practice's reputation by managing review, the review process, hence the the reason we're having this conversation today, how to do it in a compliant way so that it doesn't morph into a giant headache. Awesome. I love it. Um, we could probably talk about this all day. We'll have you back soon to kind of get updated on the, the, the world of, of reviews and what, what you're seeing as far as trends, because I think it's always important to keep our finger on that. Um, and I appreciate you joining. Uh, Jeff, it's been great to talk to you as always. Great. We'll do it again soon. Thanks so, so much. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spa Insider.
This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Jeff Siegel, founder and owner of Medical Justice. If you are new with us, we would love to invite you to hit the subscribe button. Click it now so you can get AmSpa content delivered to you each time. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.